0: Today on CityCast Boise, here in the Treasure Valley, we love our dogs, but do we love them a little too much? Today we're starting our new Dog Days of Boise series with some science. I'm chatting with Shelley Volsh, a Boise State anthropologist who specializes in pet human relationships, and she tells me why babying your dog might not be a bad thing. It's Monday, July 31st. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is what Boise is talking about. Hi, Shelley. Welcome to CityCast Boise.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: So this is our first conversation in our Dog Days of Boise series, and I have an important scientific question to start out, just to ask you as an anthropologist. Can you tell me everything about your dog, Lucy?
1: (laughs) Uh, Lucy is a sassy old gal. She is 15 years old. She'll be 16 in December. Um, She is full of everything. Usually when when I describe Lucy to people, I say, do you remember the show Golden Girls? Do you remember Dorothy? (laughs) She's a Dorothy! Oh, she's totally a Dorothy. If she could start telling you stories about Sicily um, and, you know, kind of shake her finger at the younger dogs across the street making noise, she absolutely would. I love that. I love it. Well, what's Lucy's favorite thing to do in Boise? What does she love? She loves to go sniffing anywhere we can go. Sniffaris are definitely top of her list. Um, So we will take her to parks or we'll take her... We live near the Greenbelt, so um, just kind of let her she leads and we might take a 20 minute walk, but it's all at her pace wherever she decides she wants to smell. I love that, a sniffari. I've
0: never heard that before. And that's so great. I did just see, I just saw a a video the other day that was talking about how sniffing is so important for dogs. Yes. Like it's as important as exercise. If you have a a very busy, rambunctious dog and you're like, oh, I take her for four walks a day. She doesn't ever calm
1: down. It's because she needs sniffs. She needs a sniffari. I had no idea. Yes, they need the mental stimulation from sniffing. Um, I tell people, if you take your dog out and you don't let them sniff, it's like going out blindfolded. Oh. Or you can't see the world. So much of their information comes through their nose. So, what is your favorite
0: thing about Lucy? I, I, she's a pug, so I'm guessing it's her horrific breathing.
1: <laughs> not to pug shame here. Not, not to, to pug, pug shame, but. I have this weird thing where if I don't hear her snoring, like it's not, it's soothing to me to hear her snoring. Oh, <laughs> which I is get kind that. of weird, but. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think my favorite thing about her is just having been with her for so long and watching her change and kind of teach me about the life stages of a dog. Um, and so she's the oldest living dog I've ever been with. And so I'm learning a lot about that kind of late life geriatric, um, reminding me to sleep in till 10 o'clock on Sundays <laughs> kind of a
0: thing. <laughs> they do have a good pace. We have a 19 and a half year old Dachshund mix, which I wow. know is just wild. Um, and it is it is interesting because, yeah, he slowed down. He still goes to the dog park. He still goes for walks, very slow walks. Um, we make it about a half a block and it takes us about a half hour. <laughs> it's so <laughs> slow. But he loves – he's still very active and he still loves to get out. But it is interesting, like you said, like you do kind of start to be like, oh, yeah – I to appreciate you, I need to slow down to your pace. And it it's interesting because my, my parents are getting older, you know, and I'm like, this is sort of prepping me for a lot of the people in my life slowing down and me needing to be like, okay, because I remember my grandma would take like three hours when we would take her to lunch, we would like, it would take her so long. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is my, these are old dog days. So we got to get ready for prep for that. Well, let's go back in time. I'm really curious about this. When in our history did humans and dogs become best friends?
1: Oh, that's a bit of a loaded question because we've got what the genetics say, and then we've got what the archaeology says. Oh, um, our our best kind of packaged answer th- these days is that somewhere between twenty to thirty thousand years ago, um, we probably had a proto dog by then. So we had, um, you know, not quite dog, but no longer wolf, walking around with us. Um, there's a great cave in France called La Chauvet Cave. And one of the things that's really compelling about it is that there are young human footprints and right next to it are canid footprints and they seem oh. to be walking together in the cave. So um, that's definitely kind of an interesting thought that we probably were integrating with them long before they were formally dogs. Um, but... I'd say the the relationship has been very symbiotic, probably from the get-go. And it's it's probably our ability to cooperate on hunting and foraging and these types of things that really made that bond and the the domestication of dogs really start.
0: Oh, interesting. And so... We love dogs in Boise. Boise is such a dog town. But I I have to ask you, can our dogs actually love us back? Because I feel like mine do, but I have an aunt who always is like, a dog. your dog can't love you. Your dog can't love you back. That's anthropomorphizing. Like something, but I swear they do. They adore me. He follows me everywhere. He's 19 and a half and he's still going up and down the stairs all day to follow me around.
1: (laughs) You know, at this point, there is so much evidence. There's hormone evidence related to cortisol and oxytocin. Greg Burns at Emory has a bunch of MRI work looking at the ways that dogs' brains light up in in response to different stimuli, including the smell of their human. Um, There's behavioral data. We've, we've really reached a point in canine science where we no longer go, can they? Do they? Um, it's anthropomorphic to say no. Rather, we're going, how do they? What does love look like to them? What are our obligations to them in exchange for the relationship? Those kinds of questions are really what's coming up now.
0: That's so interesting. Uh, like you said, the the exchange in the relationship, we did uh, really great positive dog training here in Boise with Clever Paws. And um, she does uh, no fear training. And it was so interesting, you know, what I think most people think of as you say no to your dog and you try to be big and scary. And it was more like they're toddlers. Yeah. They're essentially toddlers and, and they're they're bumbling through the world world with no language skills, basically, not able, like they have to, you know, you think of, I think of my dog trying to get food and she's staring at me, like, you know, with this intense stare, you know, and you think like, wow, to to have to always communicate with your eyes and your tail and, you know, your cuteness is is pretty difficult, actually.
1: Yeah, it is. And especially because I think... The concerns of things like anthropomorphism have gotten in the way of our natural instinct to read and communicate with them. Um, so we get caught up going, "Oh, I must be anthropomorphizing if I'm seeing this." But you know, if if your dog comes running into the living room at 9:30 at night holding a toy and turns to stare down the hallway and then looks back at you, they might really want to go to bed. And it's not anthropomorphic <laughs> to think that um, Lucy will actually do that, lead us down the hallway, and then jump in her bed and be like, "Okay." Yeah. I'm like it's only nine thirty, <laughs> but okay, whatever. Um, and so, you know, for us to kind of blend the skepticism of not overdoing it and reading too much into it, but at the same time, they are capable of so many of the basic communication that we are. And I think we get caught up in, and this is ironic because we're on a podcast where it's all voice, but uh, we get caught up in our verbal language. Um, and in reality, our body language is saying just as much to our dogs, and we can listen to them in exchange. Oh, yeah. I um, love that. That's not to say that there aren't dogs that aren't very vocal in what they want, though. <laughs> There's plenty of demand barking and, and um, various other things. We're looking at you, Huskies. <laughs> We're looking at you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It seems like almost everybody in Boise has a dog. Like, we're such a
1: dog centric city. Why do you think that is? I think it's partially, I mean, it's kind of a feedback loop. We're in an environment where there's a lot of outdoor activity. Um, we are in this kind of basin with the river and everything, but we can easily get out into other ecosystems and spend time. um, A lot of biking, right? The walking trails. And I think that that natural tendency to try to be and want to be in touch with nature leads us naturally to wanting to have animals around us. Whether it's a cat or a dog, that connection to nature that we can bring home with us at night, that, that sense of, are more natural, are more, real cells as a way of escaping the hustle and bustle. And so that, that then feeds something called biophilia, which means we feel better when we spend time in connection to natural things. Um, and so we seek it out more. And so it becomes this loop of wanting to be out. I mean, I see people on their bicycles with the little stroller behind it, and you expect it to be a kid and know it's a dog, right? <laughs> um, and I think that's amazing. That's, that's something that's we've got so many parks, we've got so many places to go play downtown, the, the food scene has really gotten um, tuned into the, the, the dog craze, right? So there's all these yappy hour opportunities or just being out on the patio with your dog for lunch. Um, and I think that having those barriers disappear then also really helps us integrate kind of the natural and the, the more cultural modern environment.
0: We did an episode about making friends in Boise as an adult and how difficult it can be. And on it, we talked about getting a dog is actually a great way to make (laughs) friends because (laughs) it kind of like they make us more social. Like, I (laughs) I often feel uncomfortable in a social situation where I'll be like introducing myself to someone's dog before I say (laughs) hello to them. But it also
1: sort of like eases some of those things. The, the joke meme about the person who shows up at the party and they find the dog in the corner, that is literally me. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it just, I think that there's something about our relationship and the millennia of cooperation. Um, and the more that they integrated into our lives and became these kind of key components, the closer into our bedroom and eventually our actual beds they got. Uh, co-sleeping with our dogs is really not uncommon anymore
0: guilty guilty as charged over oh, 100%, 100%. here horrible night's sleep not a good night's
1: sleep but I just I love I love it I love having a dog in the bed they're so cozy. agreed <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, and like I said if I don't you know if I wake up in the middle of night and I don't hear Lucy snoring I have to like go check <laughs> especially <laughs> with her being 15 right yeah for sure well, what about,
0: you know, during the, I think of what we were saying, this, this millennia of cooperation and all these social things makes me think of the pandemic puppies we heard about. Like so many people got dogs while they were home during COVID. How are those dogs and those people doing now?
1: It's kind of hit and miss, but definitely there are two kind of events happening for a lot of these dogs. So one, you have the dogs who are suffering from separation anxiety because they are social animals just like we are. And so we went back to work and we didn't really necessarily think about tapering our time from our dogs. And so suddenly the people they were spending all of their time with are no longer home for eight, nine hours a day. And from a dog's perspective, it's like, oh no, what happened? Are you ever returning? Um, So there's definitely some separation anxiety going on and being worked with. But the really big issue Mm. is the under-socialization because there weren't the puppy classes. Um, People weren't necessarily going to the dog park during busy parts of the day anymore. They couldn't go to you know it was harder or impossible in some cases to go to the coffee shop with your puppy and sit on the patio and watch bikes and different people walk by and all those things that are so important to that developmental stage getting to meet other dogs you might meet a family dog or two but seeing another dog walking down the street those types of things were just not happening as much Um, and so we're kind of seeing, there's an interesting parallel to what we're seeing with some of the, the kids coming out of schools where they were having this kind of spotty um, at school, right, in person, where some of the dogs, we call them bomb-proof. You could do both post anything to their environment and they just keep going along being happy-go-lucky. But a lot of the, the puppies and adolescents from the pandemic are really going through this kind of struggling Um, teen, young adult dog phase where they just haven't really learned the rules of engagement for their environment. Um, And so there's definitely an increase in socialization classes and reactive rover classes for frustrated greeters and all these kinds of things going on.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, like what you're describing is a lot of it is like parenting, right? Like it's basically parenting. And you've done a lot of research on pet parenting. Who considers themselves a pet parent?
1: You know, it's very interesting. Some of the people who consider themselves pet parents are, there's this, the empty nest phenomenon, right? People whose kids have grown up, gone to college, gotten their own families. But a lot of the individuals who are identifying as pet parents are people who have not, and maybe will not have children. Um, And so there's language. It's kind of interesting because when we ask about the kind of words that we use, You know, what kind of words do you use when you talk to your close family and friends, versus what kind of words do you use when you're talking to coworkers or clients at work? Um, And there's definitely a switch that happens in a lot of cases where individuals are kind of conscious of, like, I really shouldn't call myself a dog mom around certain people. Um, Now, because it's my research, I call myself a dog mom all the time, Um, and and it is predominantly, not completely, but predominantly, people who have Um, either chosen not to have children or just have not yet had children.
0: So what does your research show about being a pet parent versus like a more traditional way of thinking about the relationship between dog and human? Like I own this pet, this, I, you know, this is my, I don't know, accessory thing or whatever. (laughs) What's the difference between those two people?
1: Um, The person who is a pet parent who identifies as a pet parent is really thinking more about integrating their dog or cat into their lives in a way that they would a child. Um, they might leave a date because their dog is sick. They might stay home from work because their dog is sick. They'll use their own sick time to stay home, take the dog to the vet if need be. Um, they are spending the time, spending the money, um, spending the emotionality of bonding um the dog also gets to choose, you know, hey, I need to go for a walk. Hey, I'd like to play. Uh, pet parents will stop doing their work to take a break and play instead of saying, like, go to your bed and don't bother me. Um, not to say that never happens, right? But <laughs> the frequency of it is significantly less versus somebody who's like, oh, yeah, I'm a pet parent because it's trendy. But their dog spends most of their time, you know, in a crate, in the purse, you um, like you said, kind of more of an accessory. So real pet parenting, the way I would define it in my research, looks like you're parenting, like you said earlier, a toddler.
0: Yeah, and something I, we found, we got a puppy last year, and something we found was it's a difference, I think, in between sort of expecting that this dog will fit into your life as as opposed to getting to know the dog and adapting your family and yourself kind of around that dog's personality and, and not like, and it's the same. I mean, I have kids. I'm a dog mom and a kid mom. So it's, it's
1: very similar. (laughs) Like I said, (laughs) not everybody
0: is without kids. What do you think? Is this generational? Like, you know, we're sort of saying people, but do you think that this is generational, this pet parenting thing?
1: I think the acceptance of it is generational. I think the labeling of it probably came around somewhere in the 80s, maybe early 90s. But if I think about our relationship with our companion animals throughout time, I don't really think that it's unique to have this close of a bond. Um, Darwin would write home from his travels on the Beagle, and the first thing he would ask about were his dogs. Oh. <laughs> then he'd ask how his children were doing, and then he'd ask how his wife was doing. <laughs> oh, my God. So, it's, it's certainly something that's been around with us longer than that, and um, when we think about some of the burial sites that we see where dogs have been positioned with people very intimately, or we think about some of the art that's out there, um, you know, even pre-Neolithic art that is incorporating our companion animals and especially our dogs into our spaces. Um, but I, what I do think is different is the amount of individuals doing it and the kind of labeling of it, I think is is relatively new, maybe in the last half a century.
0: I definitely think of my ki- my dogs as like kids, you know, like that they're my babies for sure. And I this is embarrassing, but I feel like since you're a professional, I can admit this to you. I constantly talk in like baby talk to my dogs. Like I have, oh yeah, both of them have like a separate voice that I do when I talk to them. Um, yes, and I probably assume a lot about their behaviors compared them to the way people behave like the other night my dog I, I posted some pictures because I was like uh, our dog Bev who's one and a half I was like oh Bev's mad at me again she's giving me the silent treatment she had turned her back on me and wouldn't look at me because I wouldn't share my taco you know and um, <laughs> but is that bad is there anything that come like is there anything negative that comes with sort of babying your dog like that
1: if you're gonna do it to the extent where there's never any sort of management of how they behave in you know out in the wild so to speak so out out, out of the home or you know if they're getting away with misbehavior that's hurting someone um, but I really think that it's it's up to our individual homes what we do and don't let our dogs get away with uh, you know should dogs be on the couch I guess that's up to you my dogs are always on the couch
0: <laughs> mine is literally a throw pillow for the yeah couch.
1: like he's a feature <laughs> uh, so I think that you know. Any of that level of anthropomorphism, I mean, some of it is just helping us connect with them. We're trying to understand from our human abilities what they're experiencing, what they're thinking. Um, it's it's a safe place to admit it because I have two voices for Lucy. There's <laughs> Lucy talking to me <laughs> or to my husband. Um, and then there's my voice for Lucy, right? Um, And there's a lot of research on the fact that women in particular will mother ease with their dogs the same way they would have with their children when they were young.
0: Interesting. I do do that. Yeah, Mother Ease is exactly what I don't think I recognized before that that's exactly what I'm doing. And like you said, I have a voice I talk to her in and talk to my other <laughs> dog in. But then I also do impressions of both yes. of them. Uh, probably really accurate. Perfect. Like They're probably like, that is what I would sound like for sure. <laughs> Well, I want to ask you one last thing. Boise's on all these national lists for being a great city to have a dog. But from your vantage point as a researcher who studies, you know, the pet person dynamic, what do you think? Are we the best dog city in America?
1: I do think that we are a really incredible place to have a dog. I do think that there's a lot of dog-friendly options when it comes to places to go, um, things to do, restaurants, restaurants. Um, I also think that we have, I mean, we have some amazing veterinary facilities here. There's fear free certified veterinarians, there's fear free certified trainers in the area. We have probably one of the most beautiful and amazing humane societies I've been in in all of my time working with dogs as a trainer or as a professional, you know, academic. So I definitely think that we can comfortably say we're in the top five for sure.
0: Yeah, okay, good. All right, we'll take it. Top five is pretty good. Well, Shelly, thank you so much for sharing your research and tell Lucy hi for me.
1: I will, I will.
0: (laughs) One more thing before we sign off. The National Weather Service is forecasting that we'll be hovering around 100 degrees for the next couple of days, so it's a good reminder that our dogs can also get heat stroke. The number one rule is never leave your pup in the car, even with the windows down. That's pretty well known. But you should also do a spot check on the sidewalk to test how hot the pavement is on your hand. Change up your walking schedule for early morning and late evenings when temperatures are too hot, or play indoors with your furry best friend. We'll link to a full guide with other ideas for how to keep your pup safe all summer long. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you sent us a photo of your dog for our Dog Days of Boise series. We're featuring furry friends on our website and socials all month long. You can email us at boise at citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more local stories from around the city. Bye.